0: your Bibles and turn with me to the book of John chapter 6 tonight and uh, Lee I, I uh, did not know you until night before last but I love you brother and I'm quite excited about the initiative and what God's going to do in Brazil. Um, I'm proud of you as a church for not making it all about you and about your little world and your little life. Somebody told me not long ago before we get into the scriptures, that the the population of the United States, listen to this, is 6% of the world's population. Six. Now, hey, I'm not minimizing what's going on in North America. I'm a missionary to North America. I'm about to be a a missionary without a church and uh, traveling and and serving and on deputation myself. I'm going to be doing it every week, not raising uh, support, just living by faith. But I'm going to tell you something. Uh, we've got to see the world. And conferences like this, pastors, thank you for having vision for the congregation. And a lot of your fellowship won't get it right away. But the, uh, the blessing is that some will. And you'll be able to continue reaching more and more and more. Look at your Bibles, John chapter 6. And after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed Him because they saw the miracles which He did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, uh, a feast of the Jews was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread? Where in the world are we going to get bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove Philip. For he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered and him, two hundred pennyworth, Lord of Bread, is not sufficient for them. that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, spoke up then, Simon Peter's brother, and said unto him, "There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many?" And Jesus said, "Make the men sit down." Now there were much, there was much grass in the place, so that uh, the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise of the fishes as much as they would or as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet, that should come into the world. I love those words in verse 13, over and above. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, you've given me a message for tonight. I believe it's for this fellowship, for those that will hear it and see it. It's for me, it's for these pastors and these missionaries. We all are very familiar with this text, but Lord, I'm asking you tonight that you would come, speak by the power of your spirit to every heart, every boy and girl in this place, and that you would have your way, and that you would do a miracle. And lift our eyes above this world to see how you can do big things. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach tonight for just a few minutes on this subject, How to Bless a Multitude of Those Who Haven't Heard. How to bless a multitude of those who've never heard. If all you care about is yourself, you're not in, you won't be interested in what I have to say. You, you know, you can just start thinking, ladies, get your papers out and make your grocery list. I mean, if all you're consumed with is you, and even your little church or, or uh, whatever, you won't be interested. But, but if you're interested in your life, blessing a multitude who have never heard Jesus' name one time, or have never heard the gospel, in Brazil, in Costa Rica, and in North America, in Arkansas. If you're interested in that, you may be interested in this truth, and I, I want to tell you a story. Before I get into the story, I want to tell you what I'm convinced, and I'm a little old time when it comes to this, that there needs to happen in Costa Rica, and in Brazil, and in Arkansas. I don't think, these guys are all professionals. They're, they're special. They're gifted and talented. But what I'm convinced of and what needs to happen here is an old-fashioned outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. I love the terminology of gospel movement. I would add to that a revival, a a renewal that comes when God supernaturally moves in a church. You know, I can show you over and again in the Word of God. When God began to do a great work among the nations was only after the power of God fell. In the book of Isaiah, you, you remember that text where it says, Oh God, that thou wouldst rend the heavens that you would come down. In the next couple of verses he says that the nations may tremble. I'm convinced there will not be a great missions movement. There won't be a movement in the church. There won't be a harvest in, at Jackson Creek or in Dunn, North Carolina until we see God move on the scene. What men cannot do, God can do. If you believe that, say amen. Now to our text. It was early that morning. I can see him waking up. He may have already had his clothes laid out. He was ready for it because he had heard that a man, a special man, was coming by. They didn't have movie theaters back in those days. He he couldn't go play putt-putt. I mean, there was nothing uh, as far as exciting things to occur except when a guest would come, someone that had some notoriety about him All the boys and girls would go, and the teenagers would go. Everybody wanted to see what was going on. Some folks had to work and couldn't make it, but this little boy woke up early because he had heard that Jesus of Nazareth was going to pass by. I can see him waking up and and bounding down the hallway and saying to his mom, Mom, I'm so excited. Guess what? Jesus is coming, and I want to go and see him. He's going to be down there by the sea, and I want you to go. And I can almost hear his mother say, you know, you'll need some lunch. You'll need uh, to take some food, because uh, if you're going to be there all day, that's a good trip down there and back, and so I've got something for you. Now, you know, we get in even in the video, we kind of get a picture of this great big piece of, of bread. Well, this more than likely, I understand from people that are smarter than me, would have been a small little piece of, of a little loaf. kind of like a biscuit size. A couple of those would have been placed with a few little bitty fishes, and they would have been on the order of a sardine of sorts. Now let's see who the wise people in this room are. How many of you have ever eaten sardines? Raise your hand if you have. Let me see. What? There's some rednecks up here in the north that, that have eaten sardines. Sardines are a great thing. We eat them when we went fishing. My wife won't eat them, but when you go i should ask about chicken livers because then you'd move into a whole new arena of wisdom here in the room but but these these were just small fish it would have been something he could have bound up in a paper and stuck in his in kind of a tucked underneath in his garment the robe of that day and so i can see him getting it all ready and saying mom i'm going to go i'll be back in a little while and down the way he goes When you read the context of what's getting ready to happen in chapter 5, you'll see that Jesus had had an intense time of ministry in the city. He had poured himself out, kind of the way. And for the record... I don't think you're going to be depressed. I don't think you're going to get clinical depression. I think you're going to get joy, real joy, wonderful joy. I think it's going to flow out of you all over everywhere. You already got a little dose of it. And even though you get over there where the devil's fighting, I believe you're going to pour it out on those missionaries and, and those other people. And just out of, the, out of your belly, your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I'm going to prophesy over you as a Baptist. Didn't Baptist prophesy? I really believe that's going to happen. That's my dream. For, for, uh, for you. But imagine, imagine Jesus has poured out, he himself in his flesh, he's weary too. The disciples are weary. And the Bible says that then, beginning in, in chapter 6, verse 1, he decides to get in a boat with his disciples and go across the Sea of Galilee. And so they get to the other side thinking they're going to have a little retreat. But oh no, no, too many big things that already happened uh, the days before. People are seeing Jesus do miracles and so they walk, my understanding in my study, they walk all the way around the Sea of Tiberias. They come all the way around, probably four and a half to five miles and they get over there and Jesus is already there and he sees the crowd coming and, uh, and he's thinking and, and then at this moment Jesus has a decision to make just like you're going to make a decision this week. Jesus has a decision to make And the disciples have a decision to make How in the world, what am I going to do With this multitude that have never heard You know what, it has been a lot easier For you to say, you know I like that little town In Arkansas There's only 9 or 10 thousand people here We can really consume, we can reach all these people It would be a lot easier for you to say You know this youth pastor spot uh, Worked out okay for me I think I'll just stay in that role And raise my kids and, and I'll do our business and everything will be great. Or I'll continue to live in Chicago. And, and uh, you know, I don't really need to do what God's called me to do. Hey, and you know what? It would be easy for some of you to say, you know, this week, let's let it come and go and not change anything about the way I think about my responsibilities to those who've never heard. But Jesus responded pretty sweet. And i got three or four things to say to you about it. Before I do, I want you to look at chapter 5, John 5, and look at verse 19. John five nineteen. Bible says, then answered Jesus and said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son, or I can't, I can do nothing of myself but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these things also the Son doeth likewise. Look at verse 30. I can of my own self, this is Jesus talking, do nothing as I, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. I want you to notice three or four things real quick if you're jotting down a few notes. Number one, I want to tell you that Jesus was completely confident in his Father. Jesus had absolute confidence in his Father. He didn't operate outside of his Father, but he had absolute confidence in his Father. Number two, Jesus was totally submitted to his Father. He had absolute confidence. Confidence in his Father. He was totally submitted to his Father. So much so that if Jesus was not told by his Father that he needed to preach to the multitude, he wouldn't have preached to the multitude. If Jesus hadn't been directed by his Father to feed those 5,000 men plus women and children, he would not have done it. He was totally surrendered to his Father. Completely confident in his Father. Totally submitted to his Father. Listen to this, number three. He was totally... He renounced, Jesus totally renounced his own abilities, to his Father. You know, I, I, don't you know everybody wanted to make a lot out of Jesus? He was working these miracles. And Jesus turned two times in chapter 5, two times in front of the multitude and said, Hey, I didn't do this. My Father did this. My Father spoke this to me. I'm just letting my Father through me accomplish this. You're going to see why this is important in just a minute. Finally, number four, uh, that uh, Jesus, no, uh, you almost jumped ahead right there. Jesus had great faith, In his father. Jesus believed that what his father said, he would do. Now I want you to notice two or three things about this story. Number one, I want you to see first of all, the problem. What's the problem going on here that will keep us from being able to bless a multitude that have never heard? Here's the problem. The multitude came all the way around Tiberias to get over there to Jesus because they were looking for something. Do you think they were looking for the master? Oh, no. They were looking for a miracle. They were captivated by the, the excitement of what had been happening back in the city. They were looking for a miracle and not the master. Number two, the disciples were looking at the multitude and not the master. Hey, look. Here's the problem. Now listen to me, church, and I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm just telling you in general what I see across this country in the north and the south and everywhere else. Even abroad, we've got our eyes off of Jesus. We've tried to figure out how we're going to do a mission strategy. And we've tried to figure out how we're going to reach a city. And we've tried to figure out how we're going to send missionaries. And we get strategic. And we try to do the cool things that everybody else is doing. And we get us some skinny jeans and and some smoke machines. And we figure we're going to figure this thing out. But I want to tell you something. That a holy work of God cannot be done in the energy of the flesh. Amen. Amen. It takes the hand of Almighty God to break through the darkness of this world to accomplish a spiritual work. And until we get our eyes back on Jesus, until our dependence comes from Him, the same way Jesus looked at His Father, we must turn and look at Jesus and say, if it's going to be done, God, you're going to be the one to do it. And until that happens, we've got a problem. 5,000 men, plus women and children. Look, I, I don't think I'm adding to the text. We know there was at least one little boy there. I think personally there were a lot of people there. Uh, many have said probably 20,000 or so strong. And, uh, and, and here they are. Uh, and and there's, there's no faith because they're not looking at Jesus. They want to be fed. There are bread seekers and badge wearers but not many burden bearers. And all, If we could only believe, listen to this, in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Can I ask you a question? Who owns this church? Does it belong to you? No. Does it belong to the bank? <laughs> no. Does it belong to the community? I wish to everybody to keep your finger right there, honey. Everybody, everybody turn right around and look at that little girl right there. I want you to look. Look what she's doing. See her little finger pointed to the eye? That's exactly, honey. That's exactly who owns this church. And if he owns it, listen to this, if he really owns it, then he is sufficient to bring lost sinners to this church, to raise up disciples in this church, to send out missionaries from this church, if he's sufficient. If we could only get a hold of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would see supernatural things happen in our midst. Boy, I'm hungry for that. I'm tired of seeing what men can do. I, I've been around enough of that. I, I've watched people manipulate and figure eight, uh, figure, figure out and calculate everything. Instead, I want to see what Jesus can do when we just stand back and watch God at work. Number one, the problem, they've gotten their eyes off of Jesus. Number two, can I show you the possibilities? Nope, the problem. Well, my papers got out of order here. Number two: the pessimism. Now you don't have any pessimists in this church, I'm sure everybody's just joyful. Woo-hoo. They believe everything God said in His Word He's going to do. You ever heard the story of the pessimist? the two little boys that were twins? One was really negative and the one was really positive and the parents got ticked off about it and thought, we've got to do something about this. I mean, they were so frustrated because one just saw positive in everything, even to a frustration to the parents. And the other just was negative and saw negative all the time and never saw anything positive. He was, he was so pessimistic. So they said, we'll fix him. It was about to be Christmas. And so they uh, they decided they'd buy these particular gifts, and when they did, uh, they woke up the little they woke up the little pessimist first, and they said, "It's Christmas morning," and he said, "Well, it'll probably rain. <laughs> I'll probably not get anything." Well, no, we have you a gift. Come, so he comes downstairs, and there was the dream for a kid that that age. It was a beautiful new dingo, like a like a uh, little mini. Uh, like a go-kart of sorts. And he looked at it and he walked around and he said, there's probably no gas in it. <laughs> I'll probably have a wreck and kill myself. I mean, it just, the kid, he just now they're thinking, this is not going to work. So they go and wake up the little, the little optimist. <laughs> And he bounds out of bed and he hugs his mom and dad. he says, oh, wonderful, it's Christmas, it's Christmas. And he goes downstairs he says, where's my gift? My brother got a, a, a go-kart wonderful. Aren't you happy, brother? No, not really. Well, I, I'm happy and, and I want to find out what I got. So he gets under the tree and he finds this little box. And he opens up the box and when he opens it up, it's manure in the box. Just a little bit of, of cow manure. And they thought, we got him now, buddy. There's no way. He just scree- he screams with joy. He starts jumping up and down and saying, Oh, I can't imagine. I can't believe it. It's wonderful. And he runs through the house and he's opening doors and he's running outside and he's peeping out of the window. And they say, Wait a minute, wait a minute. How in the world could you be so happy about receiving this kind of gift? He said, There must be a pony around here somewhere, he said. <laughs> now, I want you to listen to me. We have remained Too many times for too many years We've not believed what God said in His Word And I want you to know something right now God never intended you and I to live by the flesh And to not believe what He said in His Word I've been studying the subject of faith And uh, Manly Beasley that I mentioned the other night Manly said that faith is saying that it's so I've said this here before Before it's so in order for it to be so Because God said it was so When you see it in the word And God quickens that to your heart And God puts a dream in your soul Then you don't give up You dog that And you believe that And you take God at his word Until you see that faith Become sight in your life It was 1984 when I went to Dunn, North Carolina and It was a nasty little storefront building With green shag carpet I told you about Rats like big running across the front A handful of people But down deep in my soul, God had made real to me that He wanted to do a gospel work. And I want to tell you, one by one, when men and women, boys and girls, began to give their heart to Jesus Christ, and missionaries and projects, a hundred of them all over the world, began to be added to that fellowship. And now young men all over the country and young women serving Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something. It wasn't just the faith of a pastor. No, it was, those, it was the faith of those men and women sitting in the seats and believing God and staying with it. And, and when the winds of adversity blew, they just said, I'm not going to be influenced that way. I trust God and I'm going to believe Him. Pessimist. Well, oh, there were a couple in the text. Let's look at them real quick. Number one, I want you to notice, and, and we have some. They're, first of all, I call them the Philip people. You ever met any of those? By the way, it's test time now. The Bible says, Jesus said, this he said to prove them. He's about to give everybody a test. I wonder if you were to take this test, which one of these areas would you fall into? Number one, there's the Philip people. Uh, Bill Stafford calls this man the calculator. He pulled out his calculator and started to calculate. You remember what he said? He said, Lord, 200 penny worth of bread, yeah, that was about one average year's salary. Uh, wouldn't be enough to give them just a little I mean 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient That everyone may take a little and How many of you know that our God is not just a little God He's an abundant God And so he says He says, Lord I, I've calculated this And I've determined that we can't do it Hey guess what you get Philip You get an F, that's what you get oh, How many would have loved to hear Philip say Lord that, that wouldn't feed them I'm going to tell you how big you are And I trust you God And you can do anything you want to Jesus Oh I wish he would have said that He would have been a bigger hero to me If he would had enough faith in that moment But I think God wanted us to see That sometimes Philip finds himself right where we are I would write that check I would give so that I can be a part of that Brazilian vision But, but you know I really can't afford to do that I got too many other things going on That are more important And what in the world would be more important and the gospel you know that when he says that to, lord, uh lord a year's salary wouldn't even be enough to feed all this crowd he's calculating kind of sounds like a lost man doesn't it philip sounded like a lost man here or he sounded like an average church committee you ever been in a committee meeting like that any of y'all have ever been on the committee you say well somebody pitches a big vision you Say, well, oh we can't do that <laughs> Now, I've been in churches where a pastor would come, God give him a great vision from the scriptures, and he'd come and share it, and them deacons would sit there and cock cock the gun. It's almost like shooting it out of the sky like skeet. He'd shoot up a big, boom! Uh-uh, no, we can't do that. Uh-uh, but what about boom? And there it would go too. No, no, sorry. We tried that 25 years ago, and it didn't work then, so it won't work now. Are you listening to me? I'm talking about Philip people. I probably hit a couple of you just now. That's why it's got quiet in here. But listen to me. I wished I had more faith. I'm just being honest with you. When that group pulled into our church for revival last week, they, all they said to me as a pastor is that we don't pass the plate. The only offering we'll take, we'll have boxes in the back for the people to give. That's what they sent. So I didn't know they were going to get up and teach on giving. So every night they taught on giving a little bit. And one night, they said, we believe in the principle of sharing what we need. By the way, I believe your, your church believes that. That's why they said to you, this is what we're asking. They haven't hidden it. They told you what we're asking. He put up there $14,000 a week of what it cost one of those teams of 30-some people to come to your church. And I'm thinking, $14,000? You didn't say nothing about no $14,000. This is what I'm thinking. Now, they're not asking that of us. They're just saying that's our need. I'm sure they have benefactors, and I'm trying to make excuses as to what I'm going to say to them if we don't get the, I mean, I thought $5,000 would be a good offering. I would have thought that, wouldn't you think that? But I'm saying they're $14,000. And then he went as far as to say, and we actually stay a second week, so that makes it $28,000, and I almost swallowed my tongue on the front row of the church. But can I tell you, when God started working, people started repenting of their sins, started getting right with God, something phenomenal happened. I didn't say a word about giving at the end of that week Garrett Lee that was with it texted me a number and the Holy Spirit showed me my lack of faith because over a week from Sunday to Sunday just guess what that congregation gave to the Lord through that revival ministry $22,000 came in in my little depressed rural county all because God can't be figured out on the calendar. If you're waiting to be able to figure it all out, to work out for, for you to help those folks going to Costa Rica, you'll never figure it out. There'll be something else all the time. But I'm here to promise you, when we started that $2 a, a week, uh, we, we were, it had a little faith. But we lived better that year than we lived before, so we jumped it up to 5 and then we jumped it up to 10 And the next thing you know, and then we took a trip. Because God was building our faith, but it all started when we stepped away from being Philip people. So if I'm preaching to any of you tonight and you're Philip people, stop being Philip people. Number two, there's Andrew Apostles. I'm still on the pessimist now. I ain't going long. It's getting close to time. Hang with me though. It's the last night. You always know what happens on the last night. And I'm not going long. But number two, notice the Andrew Apostles. Andrew said, now Lord, Philip failed the test, but I found a little boy, a little lad here. Here's that little boy that made his way down there. In his pocket, so A couple little barley loaves and those fish. And he's got two barley loaves and some fish. If he had stopped right there. Have you ever thought that in the text? If he would have stopped right there, we'd all said, What a hero of faith, Andrew. You are the man. But he doesn't stop, does he? Remember what he says? But what are these? What's a little bitty offering like that, Lord, for all of these people? Guess what you get, Andrew? F for you, too. A big red one. What are you thinking, Andrew? I, I wrote down, Philip was the calculator. Andrew was the speculator. He's speculating on whatever. And then finally, the crowd that was standing around, they were spectators. And I wondered, Lord, why did you put this in the text? And why did Andrew respond like this? And why did Philip respond like this? Because there's a lot of Andrews and a lot of Philips in our churches. How would they ever learn until their unbelief was revealed. I wonder if anybody in this room is getting a little convicted right now because of your unbelief. I know I have been. The answer was there all the time. It wasn't about running to the store with a year's salary to get enough food to come back and feed them. It wasn't about that little boy's lunch. It was Jesus. Jesus was there all the time. When Jesus is around, everything's taken care of. Number three, and let me hurry, I want you to see not only the the problem and the pessimist, but I want you to notice thirdly and finally the possibilities with Jesus. You know how I like to end on a happy note. This story has a wonderful ending, and you've got to kind of read between the lines to see all of it happening. Every time the Lord is around, nobody needs to panic. How many of you know, if this church belongs to the Lord, according to that little girl in the back, she said, it's his, then we don't need to panic. Somebody, I bet you there's somebody in this church that says, because we had them, we had them, we had these. Nobody, by the way, he's, these leaders have not told us one thing. So for the record, if this is you, and you know, they say if you throw a rock and pack of dogs, the one that squeals is the one that gets hit. I, I'm not talking, I don't know nothing about it. I'm just throwing this out. But I, I can imagine somebody saying, well, i tell you what we need to do. We need to win the people around our own town. That's what we need to do, throw our money all over this country. We need to tend to our own area here. Once we evangelize all this, then we'll think about something out there. You know the problem with people like that? They need to open their Bible and read it a little bit. Because the Word of God has a lot to say about this. These possibilities all start and end with Jesus Christ. I don't want to be a Philip person. I don't want to be an Andrew Apostle. Here's what I want to be, and I'm going to focus on this little boy and close this thing up. I choose with you, to get in on what I call the the little boy's blessings. I want to be the little boy's blessings. Not the Philip person, not the Andrew apostle, but the little boy's blessings. Because this little boy had no idea that morning, when he started down the road kicking dust, that what was getting ready to happen, that his life would be a life that would bless a multitude of those who had never, ever heard. Someone has said, it's not so much what we possess. Listen to this. But that Jesus possesses what we possess. I'm going to say that one more time. It's not so much what we possess, but that Jesus possesses what we possess. I know what people think these mission meetings and revivals. They're trying to get my money. No, we are not. (laughs) We're trying to get your heart. (laughs) When I get your heart, everything else flows out of that. We're trying to get you to Jesus and to see Jesus when we do and you fully surrender to Him. It all works out. I want Jesus through me to bless a multitude of those who've never heard. So let me finish the story. I want you to notice a little word that I never paid much attention to until Dr. Bob Pittman who I love threw this out. The Bible says in verse 9 would you look at it? There's a lad here which hath five Barley Loaves. Now, I never paid much attention to it, but Dr. Bob is a brilliant man in the original languages of the Bible. He's a friend of ours, and he's also somebody we study uh, after. And Here's what he said about them barley loaves. This little boy would have been among the poorest of the poor. You know, in your school, Ellie, there's that one girl... Or one boy, and they come in. and They don't have the nicer clothes, boys and girls. Don't you listen to me about this? They uh, they may come to your church, and they look a little worn. They they look like they're struggling a little. This would have been that kid. And and you say, how do you know that? Because barley was these these this barley was for animals. Typically, this bread for 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 made for human consumption, would have come from other grains in that region. This little boy would have been the poorest of the poor. I want you to imagine him getting up and him getting those little barley loaves and heading in. I want you to see him with this lunch wrapped up, stuck in his pocket, heading to see Jesus. I heard somebody say one time, and I'm not going to preach this, I just heard somebody say it, this little boy could have responded a lot of different ways. He could have said, i tell you what, you're not getting my lunch. My mama poured, got that lunch fixed for me, and that barley might be hard to chew, but it's mine, and my belly gets empty, and mama made that for me, and so the answer's no. That's the average person I know in an evangelical church. What I've got is mine, and I'm going to keep it. Or he could have said, and he didn't say this either, I'll tell you what I'll do, Andrew. I'll give you one of my barley loaves. And you can have a sardine or two, but you're not taking all my fish. I'm hungry too. My mama fixed this for me, so I'll share it with you. You take part, and I'll take part. He didn't even do that. I'm going to tell you, there's something about this little boy right here. And he gets in on the blessings, and when you get to heaven, he's going to be somebody special. You're going to want to meet him. In fact, I'm gonna meet, he's going to be one of the first ones I want to meet. He just handed it to him. Andrew, here you go. If Jesus can use mine. Did you see on that video clip? How that little barley loaves got turned into a pile of more and a pile of more, and they just kept serving it and kept serving it, all because Jesus has the power to take your little lunch and your little life and bless a multi. You might think, well, look, I'm not that important. I'm a I'm a widow, or I'm a single, or or I just have a blue collar job, or I I or I have a great position. I have a family or whatever, but, but I don't have a lot to offer. I don't have a lot of talents. I don't have a lot of gifts. Well, that little boy had nothing but little old crunchy barley loaves and a couple sardines, and God used him to bless a multitude. And tonight, he's still blessing through that little boy And every time the story's told. We're reminded of it. You know, I love today. We're By the way, I want you to get the big picture. Just for the record, the fact that you let us spend the days together visiting places like we did yesterday and going into Chicago. It was more than about, I mean, it was amazing to me and Terry. I live in a small town of 10,000. There's more people in the bathrooms at Macy than in my whole town. I'm just being honest with you. So our eyes were big as we were looking at the, but that's not the reason why. I don't believe it's why you sent us there. I'm sitting on that train. And sitting across from me is a missionary and a missionary wife sitting beside me is missionaries, and I'm listening to them talk. And on the way back, the conversation went to places that I needed to hear. And I heard you say that all I know is we wanted to go here, here, here. But God said, this is where you're supposed to be. And if God has placed you right here and put you in that neighborhood... Y'all don't have any trailer parks around here. I've been looking for them. You don't have any trailer. we got piles of trailer parks. But if God puts you in that trailer park, can I tell you a story about a woman that drove by a trailer park week after week, month after month, and one day the Holy Ghost said, I want you to be a missionary in that trailer park? Today we have a service for Hispanics in our church and we have leaders and people that love God because there was a day when God said, you're on mission and that's where you're on mission. And I don't care whether you've got a lot or a little, you ought to decide before this conference is over, God, if you want me to be a missionary, I'll be a missionary. If you want me to be a missionary where I work, I don't care if they laugh at me, you can have my little life and my little lunch. If you want me to be a missionary in my neighborhood, I'm in. If you want me to be a missionary coaching those boys on the rec ball or the girls, I'm in God, I want to do what you want me to do with my little life what a kid this boy was it's not so much what we possess but that Jesus possesses what we possess I was thinking uh, all of this miracle happened with what was in his pocket and he gave it all to Jesus and bless the multitude of those who've never heard. I won't say the name of the church. It's not more than 100 miles from here. I was in a conference there one day and the pastor said, you see that little lady? She had a torn, like a tattered coat. He said, when we get in the car, I'm going to tell you a story. We get in the car and I, I told you, I'm a story person. I love to hear stories. I've heard some of your stories this week. He said, that lady is a widow. <clears throat> he said, she lives in a simple little uh, senior adult house. and She can make her bills on just what she receives from Social Security, etc. She's not got the greatest health, but she works two days a week. I said, she does? Yep. He said, you know why she works? No. Tell me. He said, we had a missions conference one day. and She caught the vision. She decided she was going to be a missionary. Because of her health and her circumstances, she knows she can't go. And she works two days a week and she gives everything she makes and sends it overseas to do the work of the gospel. I cried that night when I got back to my room and I said, Lord, I've lived off the abundance, I've given off my abundance, and there's a woman no different than the widow in the Bible with the might. Lord, help me. I don't want to brag, but I've chosen to live a simpler life. We live in a house that you wouldn't think after 35 years in the same church we live. And I ain't saying that God calls everybody else to do this, but He called us to be a conduit through which He could bring resources so that people could do what God's called them to do and our cords could be strung out and our stakes could be strengthened so the cords could be lengthened. So I ask you a question in, clothing. in closing. What's, what's in your pocket? <laughs> what are you going to do with it? You going to be an Andrew apostle? Speculator. You going to be a Peter person? Calculator. Lord. One day maybe I can help you Lord, but right now I'm sorry. I'm... Are you going to get in on the little boy's blessings? Now, I've always been intrigued with the end of this story, those fragments. Number one, how in the world are you going to have 12 baskets full of fragments out of them few little barley loaves and fish? But but with Jesus, that's easy. (coughs) 12 baskets full. I'm closing. The thought, the possibility of the witness that was as they're walking through town. I don't know that it was disciples that carried the baskets. You don't know either, but it was 12 baskets. I can see them old boys walking down through the crowd, walking down through town. Somebody has speculated that, that they took them loaves and fishes down to that little boy's house and gave them to his mama. I don't know. Don't add to the scriptures. It would make a fun ending, though, wouldn't it, on this story? But I, I know this. Where did they go taking the baskets? What did the people say? I don't know. Maybe they said this. Where did all that come from? Imagine looking back over the years us being old people, he brings me back and I can barely get in the door somebody says you realize how many missionaries and how much gospel work has been done through Jackson Creek and we all remember, you remember that night you remember those conferences, where did all that come from, I'll tell you where it come from it come from your pocket that's where it came from, it came from your heart so the question is will you go if God calls you to go you say Pastor Tom I've never been out of the country if God calls you, you've got a reason for it. Will, will you send if you can't go? One last story. Uh, David Platt, this book I'm reading, I read some today too. He said he was hiking through the Himalayas. And the man told him, now look, we're going to come into some villages where the poverty is so great so great. <coughs> you can't give the children anything, though you want to. <coughs> You'll have a couple of uh, energy bars and things in your bag, but if it, it, it's not going to help us in our strategy to try to help them. If that happens there will be a hundred more that will cost us and we won't be able to make it through. There, there's no way we can feed them all. And, and please, trust me on this the man said. It's not the best. Some of you have been in those situations. So David says, I was trekking up into this village and this little girl who was dirty and with the biggest smile, she came up beside me and he said, she took my hand. We walked and she'd look up at me and smile and I would look at her and smile. She got a little closer to me and then finally, he said I could see her little emaciated face and body and I knew she needed help He said, I also knew that she had probably never heard the name of Jesus Christ. I did, he said, what that man, that missionary told me to do. But he said, that night when I lay down and I zipped myself up in that sleeping bag in that cold night, I thought, I wonder if Jesus could have gone on his way, still making his hike and his trek up into the Himalayas. And left that little girl that had never heard the name of Jesus and was hungry. Could he continue in his journey? Look here, I hope you and me, we can't just keep on trekking through life. And forget about the billions of people who are lost without Christ. Pastor, what can I do? Whatever Jesus says you can do, that's what you can do. But your life can count. And your life can impact a multitude, just like this little boy's did, that have never heard. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. I want to ask a simple question. If Jesus Christ were to put something on your heart and say to you, beyond anything you could ever imagine, and you could then begin to live by faith, what if Jesus said, by the way, More than likely, he won't say to you, I want everything you have right now. More than likely, that's not going to be what he's going to say to you the way he said to that little boy. But what if Jesus says, I want you to postpone that trip. I want you to drive that car just a little bit more. I want you to trust me to step out and have faith like the missionaries have faith. To give so they can go. Or I want you to go. I wonder, will you say yes to Jesus or will you be a Philip person or an Andrew apostle? Maybe right now you'd say to Jesus, Lord, I want to be like that little boy and get in on the little boy's blessings. I want my life to count for you. Let let me tell you why you haven't had record attendances in this meeting. You don't have them in missions. This don't bring the masses. This brings the disciples. Tonight I'm asking you to say yes to Jesus Christ.